you are listening to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. Integrity, commitment, kindness, and flexibility are at the core of Cambridge's values and drive the spirit of Cambridge. Join our host, Cambridge CEO Amy Weber, for each Cambridge Stronger episode as she invites financial professionals to offer insight on how they integrate values and purpose in their care for their investing clients. You'll hear stories on how they got their start, as well as why they are in the advice profession. Now here's Amy. Welcome to Cambridge Stronger. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us for today's episode is Steve James, Managing Director of Summit Financial Solutions. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Thank you for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. We can't wait to hear your story. I know that you began at a very young age, I think in your 20s. So let's start by talking about your journey, how you got started in the profession, and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. So I did get started. I was actually 20 years old, exactly, when I got into this business. I was in a uh, communication class in college, and we had to present on something that we felt passionate about. And I decided to present on kind of just how to save and a little how you can change a small habit in your life. And, you know, you could ultimately save a lot of money in the, in the end. And I, I called it, it's, it's, it's kind of silly. I think people make fun of it now, but the margarita a week plan. And because of my audience, which was college students at the time, I kind of took up another plan that was called the pizza a week plan. And I just modified it for the current environment I was in. And at the time, I'm dating myself here. So back in the 90s, remember, you could buy a pitcher of margaritas for about $12.50. I don't think you can buy a margarita today for $12.50. But it was... <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, so I, I just kind of showed the class. And after the end of the class, it was one of those, like, you know, hey, every week, $12.50. And I made it add up to $50 just to keep the math simple for the presentation. And at the end of the class, a bunch of kids came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, how do I do this? It sounds great. And I hadn't thought that part through. I thought, well, I just, this is a cool thing. I, I saved a little bit of money myself. How do I do the next step? And I ended up hooking up with another friend of mine who was tied to an insurance company. And so I, I kind of got into the business through that route, through the insurance route, kind of doing life and health. I uh, got that license when I was 20 years old and then eventually went to work for a securities firm after I graduated college. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And for me, I knew it was something I was passionate about at a pretty early age. Did you ever consider taking a different path along the way or was was this always just the rock solid direction you wanted to go? Not really. I I, mean, I went to work for a couple of larger firms early on and I, I, knew, I, I knew that I didn't really love that environment some of the cultures that I was affiliated with early. I did really like the money management side. So I did consider getting my CFA at one point and kind of going and working maybe specifically for an investment company. That said, I also realized I like working with people too much to actually do that. And I think what I found when I did a little more homework into that field was I would be stuck at a computer all day long with multiple screens in front of me, which isn't too different from what I have in my office right now. However, I still need to see people and interact with people, so that's fun. Yeah, for sure. You're definitely a people person. And that's a great segue to you play a dual role. 
I know because we've been working together for a long time. And what I mean by that is that you make a difference and work with financial professionals and also have your own investing clients from when you decided to be that entrepreneurial spirit you were just describing. So maybe let's start on the financial professional side. Talk a little bit about how you've built that part of your business out and how do you identify those financial professionals that would fit well with your organization, really focusing on you now turning into someone who potentially mentors and supports others who are in this business, right? Absolutely. So I actually got started in this business in the security side and really built up my securities business working with K through 12 and higher ed markets. So not to bore anyone with numbers, but I always say, well, so I'm still numbers and acronyms out there, but it's really the 403B, 457 and 401A marketplace. In Arizona specifically, I really did build it up through the K through 12 and some of it with uh, the university system as well. And just at the time when I was able to do this, it was a very uh, different marketplace and we were able to market a little bit more freely. And so there weren't a lot of actual mutual fund companies that were allowed in at the time. It was almost entirely dominated by annuities and insurance companies and nothing wrong with those companies. I just, we believe that clients deserve a choice and that teachers and professors deserve a choice. So we kind of walked into the scenario as independent brokers saying, listen, we can represent multiple companies. We don't just represent, I'm not an employee of an insurance company, for example. I was an employee of an insurance company for many years. And so I, that's kind of how I got into that world was marketing their specific insurance product. And I was limited to only that specific insurance product. As I became an independent financial advisor, I was able to, you know, market a variety of products, including insurance-based annuities, but predominantly mutual funds at that point. And it was just a different story to tell. I think teachers and professors were really receptive to it. As a result, I grew a pretty nice business. And eventually, it, it was really kind of, I don't know, it was one of those things I don't know that we ever sought out to be an OSJ or an enterprise group necessarily. It was people started hearing about what we were doing. And I will say, this is something, this is a testament to Cambridge. We were at a firm, we were at a different firm prior to coming to Cambridge. And at that firm, we found, as we started to grow, we found we were still a little bit limited and there were certain things we couldn't do. And the university market specifically was very heavily dominated by two major companies. Today, I think they're the only two major players left. Cambridge, in all their infinite wisdom, saw to it to find a way for us to do a fee deduction program from those plans. It was unique in the industry. There were literally no other major broker dealers that were doing it at the time. And, you know, it's one of the things that we loved about Cambridge right out of the gate was its flexibility and willingness to adapt and help us in that in this industry. And as a result of it, the word got out. And a lot of people at other firms that were like, like myself prior to this, that were maybe captive, heard what we were doing and ultimately decided this was without a doubt, and I think everyone's opinion, the best place for clients. And it really put our clients first. So we were in a really good position at that point to grow as an enterprise group. And it was, again, something we didn't seek out to do initially, but because of the attention we were getting, and again, I thank Cambridge for that. We were able, you know, just we were getting phone calls left and right from advisors all over the country and predominantly in university based towns, you know, where they were, you know, it was just a little bit easier for them to 
transition over their, their other businesses from maybe a captive world to the more fee-based approach, if that makes sense. That's great. And then what about the clients? How do you go about today acquiring and retaining clients? What's the value proposition for the investing client side? So we are actually, we have somewhat, we've evolved. I mean, back in the day, we were just, hey, here's here's your investments. Let's go through this. We're going to pick a portfolio for you. We're going to go. We are now a full service financial planning firm. And we try to really provide a comprehensive approach to our clients. Me personally, because I have dual roles, I operate on a referral basis only. And I think really what it comes down to, and it's not that hard anymore, you just take care of your clients. You're reaching out to them on a regular basis. You're proactive, uh, trying to do different events. I found that the events we do with clients has been beneficial. That's a little bit tough today. Everything is a little bit more difficult to see people face-to-face and shake hands. And it was just what I love to do. But we are still, I actually love these kinds of meetings. I didn't think I would at first, but I have learned to embrace the whole Zoom culture, if you will. And it it is actually more personal than I ever thought it would be. So that's, we are doing a lot more of those as well. And I think, you know, given this current investment climate, it's one of those things where I'm finding advisors are truly prospering right now because they are being proactive. They are reaching out to their clients and getting in front of them as much as they can. And I think it's unfortunately for our industry, there are a large number of advisors who are perhaps burying their head in the sand a little bit and maybe afraid to talk to their clients right now, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. That's a great segue. Besides maybe some Zoom sessions, is there anything else that you have learned to facilitate the business in a COVID world that you think will stay with you as we move hopefully very soon into a post-COVID world? 100% a Zoom thing is here to stay. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Every advisor I've talked to has said this is without a doubt a very efficient way to go about business and they absolutely love it. I feel like, you know, Cambridge in our industry as a whole has done a very good job of really being on the forefront of e-signature and going paperless as much as possible. You know, I've still had to be in the office just about every single day because as a supervisor, I still require, a lot of forms still require a wet signature on so many things, which is fine with me. But I would say that's been our biggest thing. In Arizona, we are able to gulp, so that helps a little bit. But other than that, it's been a little bit difficult. I haven't flown much. I've taken some road trips. and There are certain advisors and clients who still will meet face-to-face. And, you know, we obviously do a good job of, cleaning our office and sanitizing it and taking all the precautions necessary. Yes. I find it interesting, you know, wash your hands, wash your hands. And and then I think, huh, you know, some people actually wash their hands before this all started. It, we'll see what sticks with us, right? I've always been a soap and water guy. I, I, I never understood why it's such a big deal now. It was, it was trendy when I was a kid. <laughs> so let's go back, actually, to the beginning of your story a little bit when you were a kid. One of the industry's tough challenges is, of course, inspiring younger people to embrace and love our business, to understand what our business is about. So what were the lessons that you learned when you were that younger? I mean, you're still young, but when you were that younger person trying to decide what you wanted to do with your life that perhaps we could share with those in our audience that are considering our business? Like, what is it that makes this business so special? 
for me, I think this business is one business that at least as long as I've been in it has continued to evolve. And I am someone who I feel like I'm a little bit of a rolling stone in that way where I always need to be moving. I, I can't sit stagnant for too long. And, and not, don't get me wrong, every evolution of this business hasn't been fun and positive. But, uh, you know, for the most part, we, we do continue to grow as an industry and we continue to evolve in a very positive way. So that for me was a big piece. I, I, I love thriving. I love growing and learning new things all the time. I also really truly believe, and I, I don't know that I this hit me early on as much as it hits me now, but we are helping people in a huge way. I, I've sat across clients in so many occasions and had them you know, in tears crying and I can't believe you've helped me here. I can't believe what I have today that I wouldn't have, would have never had without you. It's one of those things where you don't always know it. And I think sometimes we get a little bit lost in the routine of it. It is important for, I think, advisors in any, in any industry professional to take a step back from what you're doing for a second and really identify who you're helping and the, you know, the impact that you have on people. So if we were talking to a group of financial professionals about why they should consider being a part of Summit Financial, what's the elevator speech? Well, I would definitely say for us, we follow a lot of Cambridge's uh, core values. We are extremely flexible. We are here to help. We love helping. And I feel like we have taken a lot of advisors from relatively successful position at whatever firm they may have been at before. And we've elevated their success significantly. That's the one thing that we've really prided ourselves on. And I know every year we, I, I throw these numbers out at our advisors and different people, and they seem to hold up very well. Our advisor, our average individual advisor growth rate is very high. And we have a very strong group of advisors who, believe it or not, they're very similar to me in many ways. They love to network. They love to interact with each other. You know, Amy, you've been to some of our conferences and events in the past, and you've seen these people are friends outside of work, even though they're all over the nation. We have advisors all over the East Coast, the South, the North, the West, and all, all in between. These are, these are friends. These are people who really, truly care about each other. They reach out to each other on a regular basis. I travel with many of them socially and do different things. The networking piece for our group is so strong, and it's, it's, it's unique to so many other places that I've been where I feel people are a little more guarded about their business practice. They feel like they have trade secrets they don't want to share. It's the complete opposite of us. It really is a family. And... You know, we, we do our best as a you know, enterprise to really, you know, showcase that and, you know, kind of be a leader and help help these people to grow. I mean, there's so much information out there and it's, it can be very daunting at times. And so that's one of the other things that we've done. I, I believe I've got a really good team around me of people who can disseminate that information and, and really get it out to the advisors as well. Yeah, I can attest to your point, having spent some time with you and the advisors that are a part of your organization, that it does feel like a family, which aligns really well with Cambridge, right? Life is too short for any of us to spend too much time working with people that we don't enjoy. And while perhaps we have friends and family that we don't always want to be around, everyone has you know, their family member, perhaps, it really does feel like a tight-knit group. And, and that's why I'm here, too. So I'm sure that's why we make a great team. 
So let's shift gears. Let's talk about outside of work. What's rewarding in your life? What's special to you? Where do you spend your time? I think one of the things we also perhaps need to get out to those who second career or just considering this as their first career, that there there are a lot of rewards and life balance when you choose to be an entrepreneur. And I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear how you spend your time when you're not working. Well, I'd say the majority of the time when I'm not when I'm not working, I love spending time with my kids, doing as much as I can with them. I've got still young kids at home and it's it's a lot of fun. But I I'm an outdoorsy person. Get me outside. Let me do things. It doesn't matter what. I, you know, you can pretty much name any activity outdoors and I'm going to be a part of it. I love to, I love the mountains. I love the oceans. I love anything on the water. This, with, with COVID, it's been kind of unique because, as you mentioned, Amy, as an entrepreneur, I've taken this opportunity to really, you know, take advantage of everything that's going on with COVID. And because, you know, you and I can sit here right now on a Zoom meeting, I can really do that from just about anywhere in the United States. And while I do have to be present semi-regularly, I can do meetings from just about anywhere. And I have taken this opportunity to, you know, take my kids on different uh, road trips, you know, kind of in the mountains and kind of getting lost. I, you know, as much as I possibly can right now. You know, the kids are also doing school remotely. So that part's been, been great as well. You know, with summer in Arizona, it's kind of like everyone else's winter. We don't like to spend this, that much time here in Arizona. If we can avoid July and August, it's great. I think we were at 116 yesterday for a temperature. So <laughs> it's not my not my favorite time to be here. I love Arizona, but it's one of those things where it's like if you live in Iowa, for example, in February, it's probably not your favorite time to be in Iowa. That is exactly true. Uh, I can relate for sure. You've mentioned that you're outdoorsy, that you enjoy anything outdoors, and I believe that you also like to ski, but I think our listeners need to understand, where do you go skiing in Arizona? Oh, Arizona's great. It's actually, we have two really good mountains here, and, and I'm only telling you that because I grew up in the Midwest and in the East Coast learning to ski, and don't get me wrong, I was very fortunate and thankful for my opportunities to learn how to ski just outside of Chicago and in Pennsylvania, which are great places, but they're basically hills covered with ice. And we loved our hills covered with ice when we lived there. However, the West Coast is absolutely amazing when it comes to skiing. So my little hills that people complain about here in Arizona, they're mountains and they have really good quality of snow, but there's a Arizona Snowball and Sunrise Mountain uh, in Arizona. They're both about three hours away from my house. and they are fun, big, great mountains. One's in Flagstaff, Arizona, you know, and there's a college town there. And the other one's a little bit more remote on the kind of the northeastern part of the state. But it, it's it's really nice. And I love it out here. And the weather is really nice. I mean, even right now in Arizona, it's a three-hour drive for me to get to an alpine environment and just cool off for a little bit, which I try to do as often as possible. It's not intuitive, which is why we had to talk about it and make sure people know the the skiing opportunities the great state of Arizona has to offer. So, Steve, as we're thinking about wrapping up our conversation today, is there any last bits of wisdom that you might share with somebody who, again, in the spirit of our core values, making a difference, helping people, to use your words. Uh, any advice to anybody that is considering getting into our business, how they go about it and what they should be thinking of, or maybe what they should avoid? 
Absolutely. For me, I know we live in a digital age, or I guess it's more of a digital age than, than it was when I got started in this business. That said, I still feel you've got to talk to people. You've got to be in front of people in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a Zoom call, a phone call, or an actual face-to-face meeting. You just got to make it happen. So many of my advisors would come to me and say, hey, Steve, I want to grow. That's my, kind of my first question is, who are you talking to? And how many people have you talked to? You know, tell me a little bit more about that. So that's, that's a big deal. And you know, this is advice that was given to me a long time ago, but it's always, it's always been this way. I know that this, this term fiduciary has been thrown around a lot in the last few years. I've never known anything else. I've always been trained and brought up that you put your clients first. You put, you put them first and everything else will fall into place. And it absolutely has. If you're starting off in this business, as I think a lot of people are, and you put your clients first, it might be a little bit of a struggle in the beginning because unfortunately, you, know, you, may, you, you may not make the huge commissions that you could make selling other products and doing different things, but you will ultimately grow and get referrals and have clients for life, which is really what you want. Clients for life might also entail serving generations within a client, right? So do you do you do anything different with the children or next generation of some of the clients you've been working with? Do you change the way that you communicate or that, the, that you serve them? Do you see any differences there? Absolutely. And it, it's, it's very clear that the, the younger generation is very much more in tune with digital interaction than I would say some of the older generation is. And that's not to say that the older generation isn't isn't learning and picking this up because they really are. And I've been blown away by some of my clients who love this format for, for meetings right now. However, the younger generation, they, they love email, they love Zoom meetings, and they have for a long time, actually. So there's, there's a lot of that. And I will say this too, you know, People really enjoy getting to know you outside. So, you know, even the, with social media, sometimes it's it's not just what you post from a business standpoint. I mean, Amy, you just asked me questions about skiing and what I do outside of work. That I think a lot of people are looking at, at that just to kind of find out what kind of person they're dealing with. And I and I'll be honest, I do it too. I I am friends with a lot of my clients now, and uh, like I said, with our, even with our advisors outside of the business relationship, and it's just nice to know who you're dealing with a little bit. Yeah, I would add from my own experience that almost every generation now, if they can't find you on social media, or even, I mean, you and I both know there's even a generation perhaps that still doesn't even have a website, but if they can't validate from the outside that you exist and get a sense of who you are to your point, both personally and professionally, they're probably not going to reach out. They just aren't going to be interested in working with somebody that they can't get that sense about, right? Absolutely. I've been told specifically by, by clients, by children of clients who have checked me out for their parents in many cases, that they have checked me out on social media and they looked me up to find out what kind of a person I am. You know, Amy, I know you have young children as well, not as young anymore. Myself as well, I, I caution them all the time, be careful what you put out there because it is it is permanent in many cases and it you know people will will see it and they're gonna judge you for it. Good advice. Good advice. So in the business, do you have somebody that specializes in your social media type campaigns and communications for the firm? I do actually right now. Yeah, I do have a specific person who is 
doing it because I'll be honest, it's not an area of expertise for me. And I also don't know that I don't know that people are good at doing that for themselves necessarily. I think sometimes it's good to have an outside set of eyes that helps you with those things. And so I've got a woman in my firm that has done it for many years and she's, you know, she knows a lot about what she's doing and she, she does it a much better job than I ever would. And not to mention, I don't know that I would invest the time, the amount of time necessary to really make it work either. There's a great piece of advice right there for those up and coming entrepreneurs. Know your strengths and weaknesses and hire those who have strengths in your weaknesses, right? That's how you build a, a strong foundation, a strong business, and a strong practice. So, well, thank you for joining us today, Steve. This has been a lot of fun. You hit on a lot of really important points that make Cambridge stronger, which is our desire collectively, both with you, who we consider our clients, as well as ourselves within our own walls. We want to be family, right? We want to have the emotional connections. This business doesn't have to be, I think a lot of times people perceive us to be Wall Street. And what, I'm, what I've learned from our session so far with you today is that there's a, a distinct difference between Wall Street and what we do in our space. And you're making a very inspiring case for getting into the independent entrepreneurial advisory advice business. And so we appreciate you sharing. Any last words from you? Amy, I uh, look forward to seeing you. I hope that uh, eventually that uh, you and I are going to be able to see each other at a conference again very soon face-to-face. I want nothing more than to, to see all my friends and family at the Cambridge Home Office that I and you know, even the other advisors that we've been a little bit detached from. I miss all you guys, and I can't wait to see you all very soon. Absolutely. Let's hope it comes sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Amy. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cambridge Stronger. Amy Weber and her guests enjoy sharing these insightful stories on why they became independent financial professionals, as well as client success stories. New episodes are available monthly in your favorite podcast venues.